Welcome to FNT Bible Talk, where we're going through the Bible and showcasing God's glory through His unified story. I'm your host, Felix Birch. On this episode, we're talking about Joshua 5 through the end of Joshua, the inheritance of the promised land. Hey guys, welcome to FNT Bible Talk. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the book of Joshua. And last week, we talked about up until Joshua chapter 4. And just to recap where we're at in Joshua, what's taken place so far. is In the first four chapters, really what we focused on or what we saw was that it was the transferring of power to Joshua. Now God was with Moses and now he says, I'm going to be with you as I was with Moses. And from that point on, Joshua appears as this leader who rallies the the people of Israel, he leads them across the Jordan River as a demonstration showing that as God was with Moses, he was with them also. But this is also really important for us to understand because crossing over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan was a fulfillment of God's very promise to Abraham many, many years ago that your people would have this land, that your descendants, this would be your land. And it just shows God's covenant faithfulness. That is what he's always been, is a faithful God. And so he brings the people of cross. And in this land, there's a lot of typology that we could say in this picture of, of being a representation of Christ as these people have now entered into a place of what the promised land was supposed to be, was a place of rest where rest would be all around them and they would rest from their enemies. And f- the same for us goes as the story would be as Christians today. We enter into Christ and we rest in Christ and Christ has won the victory. But for them, when they got into the land, there were going to be battles that were going to have to be fought. And we also talked about how they were going to be used as God's instrument to bring judgment upon disobedient nations. And so the first thing we really see in chapter 5 leading into this is just God deals with them and prepares them to enter into um, these conquests that they're going to begin. One of the big focuses that you see is like they have to get some things in order to show that they're submitted to God, and that being circumcision and the Passover. But also Joshua, the leader, shows his submission to God at the end of chapter 5 when he falls before the commander of the Lord's army and says, what what is it that you wish to do? What is it that the Lord is telling us to do? And it basically shows us that Joshua was was going out, he was looking, he was scouting the area, trying to figure out what's the best way to attack Jericho. But when he meets the man, that's the, the, the commander of the Lord's army, he realizes you're the one that knows what to do. You're the one in control. And he bows down and worships. And from there, we the, this leads us into the conquest for the rest of the book. And, and really chapter 6, which is a very familiar passage, the battle of Jericho, the conquest of Jericho, really the point of it is to set the tone for the rest of the conquest. It is to represent and show how this is how the conquest is going to go and this is how the, con- the conquest should take place. And so the instructions he was giving, he was given at the end of chapter 5, now leads us into chapter 6, or in this, we could say this, the instructions he got in chapter 6 was most likely from the encounter that he had um, at the end of chapter 5. And so the first thing we see right off the back in chapter 6, just regarding Jericho, is verse 1, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel... None went out and none came in. And this is just really powerful thought here because the people, it even said at the beginning of chapter 5, that the people, the Amorites, the Canaanites, all the people that had heard about God, 
and what he had done in Israel, they were fearful. It talked about how their hearts melted within them, and there was fear that overtook them. One thing that's so significant about this verse also is that the people of Jericho really shouldn't have been afraid of the Israelites. You have to remember, these are people who were slaves, slaves, right? And taken out of Egypt, they have no military skill. They have no significant high-tech weapons. They, they are not some amazing army. They're basically a ragtag unit, but it's the fact that the enemies around them or, or the Amorites and the Canaanites, the reason why their hearts are melting them is because God is the one who fights for them and God is the one who conquests. It's not that they're fearful of the people of Israel. They're not great in themselves. It is the God that fights for them that's great. And that's what the battle of Jericho really tells us. That's what we see. Even from this, this, from this point forward, what we see in, in verses 2 through 5 is this. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you, you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, and everyone straight before him. What we see in chapters or verses 2 through 5 is we see God's instruction to Joshua that what he was supposed to pass on to the priests and to the people. And it reveals here that the, the tactics or the strategies that we see is kind of how the it's supposed to be for the rest of the conquest, is that God is going to do it, God is going to lead them, God is going to show them. And so this was this is the answer, in a sense, to Joshua's question that he asked in chapter 5, verse 14, when he said, what does my Lord say to his servant? This was the answer. This is what you're going to do. This is how the battle is going to take place. And so it's clear on the instructions. And basically, for each of the next six days, the whole army is just going to march around the city walls once. But the emphasis that we see here, it's not on the fighting men, right? But what it's really on, it's on the Ark of the Covenant. And this was to symbolize the, the divine presence of God. And I wouldn't even say just a symbol. It was the divine presence of God that was with Israelites there. God was with his people and he was in their very midst to accomplish their vict his victory for them. And this is so awesome because it just shows that God would, did not want to be remote in his people's battles. This is a great lesson for us to understand. The battles that we face, the battles that we struggle, God does not desire to be remotely far off or at an arm's length from his people in the midst of their struggles and their battles. But he wants to be up front leading his people by his presence. And so we can look at this. Just as they've done all the way through the wilderness, it has been God who has led them this far. Now God has got them into the promised land, and now God is going to conquest the promised land for them. So Joshua gives the instructions to the people from here, and the people obey. It's, and, and from the natural, and I think everybody, when you read this, you, you come away with this, but from the natural, when you read this, this text, it's like, what a strange strategy. What It makes no sense to the natural man. But we know as, as people of God, God does not work inside of man's boxes. God is far greater and far bigger. And so the victories with the Lord and the things with the Lord, sometimes God will reveal to us different things or 
ways to do things that we would have never thought of, but it was God's wisdom and God's might and God's power. And it's always done that way so that God gets the credit. It's always done that way so that when when something happens or when the victory's won and we're like, why did you do it that way? That made no logical sense. Well, God came up with the idea. It originated with God. And so because of that, all credit goes to God. And so even in this victory, that's what happens. So you would look at this plan from the outside and you'd be like, this is silly. This will not work. Walking around and marching around this city seven times in seven days and, and these shouts and everything. But it, it worked. It, it, it worked exactly as God told him it would. And, and, the, and the walls come crumbling down. And one of the neat things that we see here also is in verse 17. It talks about you know when this happens and when the city is given to you. Remember this. The city and everything in it are set apart for the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone within our house will live because she hid the messengers we sent. But keep yourselves from the things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of these those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. And so this is this is actually a really important part of scripture here because what we'll see in chapter 7 and 8 really is what causes the people of Israel to fail in the next battle is this command, disobedience to this command. And also we see here Rahab, the prostitute, who in chapters, I believe it was chapter 2, where we were introduced to Rahab and how Rahab showed faith and how she was one who understood that Yahweh was great, the Lord was great, and she would rather be on his side. One of the also one of the other things that also reels to us about Rahab is that these people who God was sending the Israelites to conquer, I personally believe they had an opportunity to repent like Rahab did, but they chose not to. And they were so hardened and sinful against God that God was going to bring the judgment towards them. But I believe Rahab shows us like they could have repented. She repented. It even talks about in Hebrews how by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The the people of Canaan were disobedient. They rebelled against God. But Rahab by faith entered in and one of the most beautiful things about that is we know Rahab becomes part of the line of David and Jesus Christ himself comes from the line of David. And so here, it's a testimony, it's a picture. It gives us the glimpse that, look, God has always wanted the Gentiles in his family. He's always wanted the nations of the earth. We know that from Genesis chapter 12. And Rahab, who is a prostitute, who you would never put or pick to put in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, God did so, and God used her, and God saved her. But one of the cool things that we also see here in chapter tw- or verse 20 is th- it says that the troops shouted and the trumpets sounded. And when they heard the blast of the trumpet, the troops gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. And which is really cool because one of the things it says, or in one translation says the wall of the city will fall under itself, right? But what's really cool is that this, the, when you dig a little bit deeper into this, what this is really implying is that the walls collapse from a pressure from above. Okay? So there was a pressure that came from above and not necessarily outside. So it wasn't the people necessarily just walking around and they're screaming that caused the walls to fall. Though they, they had to act in obedience, and they did, and they had to act in faith, and they did for this conquest to happen. 
What really we see is that God, right? The pressure came from above. God was the one who brought those walls down. Now, what's so neat about this is it does tell us that these people, in order, like this conquest was not going to happen unless the people of God obeyed and had obedience. And Hebrews, just like it said for Rahab, tells us that that is exactly what happened. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days, right? So by faith, the walls were fallen after they walked in obedience. They continued. They, the whole thing was written with faith. They, they were, it had faith to walk around it. They had faith to scream. They had faith to do everything. And they were obedient in that. So it just shows us faith leads to obedience, even in the Old Testament here, guys. So it's an awesome thing here that when we get into battles in our lives or we face our own Jerichos, it's a, it's a life of faith, just like Hebrews says. It's a life of faith, but it is God who's going to fight it. It is God who's going to do it. But it, we must walk in faith, which faith is a life of obedience. So God may tell us to do strange things, but faith will lead us into obedience, and the battle will be won. So what we see from the battle of Jericho is how God would want the battles to take place throughout the rest of the book of Joshua or how the people would go about fighting these battles. It would always be God who would win. It would always be God who let them victory and it would always be God who did it. God would even say later on in the book and in other places how he would be the one to drive out the enemies. But even though it was God, it still required the people to walk in faith and obedience to what God would call them to do. So when we get to chapter 7, we see a new city that they come across in the city of Ai. And Joshua sends scouts in and they go and they look and they're like, oh, we got this. This is not a very powerful city. You know, they're coming off of the hills of Jericho where it's like, look, we destroyed everything. It was demolished. You know, and, and, and from their understanding, we obeyed everything the Lord told us to do. And so they get to this battle. And when they do, they go to attack it and, and they lose. And they retreat, and Joshua goes before the Lord, and he tears his clothes, and he falls on his face before the ark of the Lord, and he just, God, why? Why did this happen? And he actually says this in verse 7, Why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. What can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? When the, when the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then what will you do about your great name? So just like Moses did, Joshua intercedes or goes to God and talks to him, saying basically like, why is this happening for your name's sake? Just like Moses would do in the previous chapters, in Exodus and so forth, is that Joshua understood like everything was for God's name. So why is this going on? We want to represent you in the earth. We understand that. But what is happening? Why are we losing? But he also makes a statement here that's pretty powerful in verse 7. He said, If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. And I think this is a really powerful statement. I'm going to dig into this a little bit later. But just regarding what he was saying here, he's basically saying, If only we'd been content not to have everything you wanted for us. If only we'd be content to not have all the blessing that you desire for our lives in this life as your people. And just quickly for us to touch on it before we get to it a little bit later, is, is that how many Christians live their life? I'm content being saved, but there's so much more in this Christian life that God has for me. But there's fights that I'm going to have to go through and battles that are going to have to take place for me to get there. And I don't know if I'm willing to do that. 
So what happens is in chapter 7, they lose their their battle, and it comes out that the reason why they lost their battle is simply because there was a man in the camp who had disobeyed what God said in chapter 6, when he said, everything is devoted to me, everything's for destruction, everything's mine, all the gold, the silver, the bronze, and these things. There was a man in the camp who was who disobeyed. His name is Achan. And Achan actually had taken some things from the victory, and he had hid them for himself. And so it cost the people of God that battle. And it just shows you what was required of Israel to to be successful in these conquests was obedience, was to walk in obedience to God's word, which we know that we, we do not talk about that in the sense of, oh, well, it's works. No, it's faith. If you live in faith, you'll walk in obedience. And it really contrasts even Rahab here, because what happens, Achan, is that he his household and himself lose everything because they live in disobedience and, and not of faith, versus Rahab her and her household gained everything because they were of people of faith. And so what happens is they repent, everything goes on, God deals with them, and then they go and they conquest the people of Ai in this battle. So moving forward, we're going to jump into now chapters, really chapters 12, I believe it is. Chapters 12 through 21 is this big section that you would come to and you'd be like, okay, this is really boring. But really what it is, it's a contract. It, it, it would be like today if we had a, if I bought some land and I needed a contract and I needed some proof that I own this land, we would have this deed laid out. And this deed would be a reminder for anyone, whose land is this? Well, here's the deed to the land. So chapters 12 through 21 is really like a giant deed. And it was super important to the people of Israel because it was the fulfillment of God's promise to them that this is what I was going to do. So for us, we may read it and be like, okay, it's a lot of different locations, names, this, that. But it was God's promise being fulfilled. And one of the things that God says here, I think is really good. In verse chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Joshua is now old and advanced in age. And the Lord said to him, you have become old and advanced in age. But a great deal of the land remains to be possessed. And he go, and he gives this list and basically says, this is all that, that's going to continue, that, that is not possessed yet. But God says, I will drive them out before the Israelites. Only distribute the land as an inheritance for Israel as I've commanded you. Therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. And so that's where we see the dividing all the lands. But what's really unique about this is God saying, look, I've brought you into the promised land, but there's still more land that needs to be taken. And this is a picture for us, guys, is that when we look at Scripture here, we see that the Israelites had more land to possess. There was more to be done. And so, in other words, he's saying, you are going to need to continue in faith to take more of the land that I promise to you, continue in obedience. And this really is a beautiful picture for us in the New Testament. You see, when we get born again, we receive salvation, we receive the Lord in our lives, and we receive Jesus to comes, and the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us. But there are more things that God desires for us to walk into. There's callings to be fulfilled, there's anointings to be poured over us, and there's things like that in our life that God desires to pour into us. But there are battles that take place for these things in our life. 
And these are the battles of faith or the crisis of faith where these moments where we walk in with God and we continue with God into the promised land and there's more land to be taken that when we continue with Him, God fights those battles and we take possession of, a new, of, of the callings or a new gifting or things in our lives, but they're of faith. They're not of us. They're not our own strength. They're of the Lord's strength. And in fact, the reason why I can say this is because in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about how in Christ Jesus, every spiritual blessing is given to us in heavenly, from the heavenly places. And so we have spiritual blessings that we get to possess because of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. So what we see is the promised land being a type of Christ here, where it represents the people of God. God had brought them into this land, but there was more for them that they could go and take and possess, more for their lives. And even for us as Christians, we are born again, we become saved, but there is more that God has for us. Our lives do not just end at salvation, but there's an ever-growing working of God in our lives, more things He wants to do, and greater callings. So what happened to the Israelites? Because we know the Israelites did not possess or take over all of the promised land until King David And so what we find that answer to is really in chapter 23 of Joshua. And really what 23 is, it's his final farewell address from Joshua where he basically instructs the people before he he dies and departs. And what's significant about this is what we see in this chapter is we see how God says, look, I've driven everything out. I'm the one who's fought, who's fought for you. I've allotted the nations to, that are here to be your inheritance. I've destroyed the nations that have been here. He says, I will drive these nations out before you, the ones that are still here, so that you can take possession of their land as the Lord promised you. He even talks about how everything, every promise I've made has been faithful. Every promise that God has made has not failed, but His promises are for sure. He talks about how... You should continue in obeying and continue in the word or the book of the law of Moses so that you do not turn from the right or the left and that you do not associate yourselves with the nations among you or call on the gods or make an oath to them or serve them or bow and worship them, but instead be loyal to the Lord your God as you have been to this day. So ultimately what happened and the reason why they did not take possession of the promised land was because they became influenced and began to worship the gods around them. They surrendered their lives no longer to Yahweh and to the Lord their God, but began to follow after the world and the things of the world and the, and the gods that would be in the land of Canaan. We know that God even said to them, look, you've, you've followed me, you've been loyal to me even to this day. But from this moment on, they decide to begin to follow after the gods of the world. And this is a great picture for us. It teaches us so much about our own lives. Because even as Christians, just like for them, they were in the promised land and all the promised land was available to them. We are in Christ and all the blessings of Christ have been made available to us at salvation after being born again. But it is those who continue in faith that will take hold of those things, the blessings that are in Christ. But if we allow distractions and gods of this world to pull our heart and loyalty and faith away from God, we will not experience the very blessings that God desires to give us. The gifts, the callings, the intimacy, all these things. Or as Paul would even say in Philippians, 
chapter 3, how he desired and strived to know Christ more and more. And that was his greatest approach. That was his greatest thing in his life was to pursue to know Christ more and more. He understood there was more to be known of Christ. There was more in this Christian life. But if he became distracted, if we went after the things of this world, we would not. And so what does that look like in our life? Well, it could be money. It could be security. It could be fame. It could be fortune. It could be sports. It could be games. It could be many things in our lives. And if we allow these things to become the gods of our lives and bow down to them, we will not receive everything that is available to us in Christ Jesus. So, the way Joshua ends, he closes out in chapter 24. He continues his final speech. And he says to them in verse 15, But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which will you worship, the gods of your fathers who worshiped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. And what Joshua basically declares to them is, Look, you can choose today, going forward, with what's left of the promised land to take over, you can choose who to follow after. For Joshua, he was going to continue to live in a life of faith where he would follow after God and take hold of everything God had for him. And I pray that we as Christians would understand that and be those same type of people as Joshua. We would say, I want everything I can have in Jesus, the blessing that the Father desires to give me. So I'm going to live a life of faith and I'm not going to become distracted by the things of this world or the gods of this world. It's something to look at how they responded. They said this in verse 16, The people reply, We will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. But we know they do. And that's what the book of Judges really shows us. And that's where it leads to. is that There's a downward spiral that is really, really bad in the book of Judges that we see. And it's because these people broke away. Ultimately, we know they were going to because Moses even prophesied it. But it ultimately, it was truthfully because their hearts were wicked and they could not please God. So I hope this episode blessed you. I hope it strengthened you. And I hope it encouraged you. Thank you for listening and God bless. Thanks so much for listening. For more FNT Bible Talk, be sure to subscribe and visit fntchurch.org for more information.